So we're back in Luke, in Luke chapter 8 at this point. We've been here for a few months, and hopefully you have feasted richly on the gospel of Luke to this point. Over and over again, Luke has challenged, instructed, corrected us, and I trust encouraged us in the things of the Lord. One way that Luke has taught us is as he looks at Jesus Christ and he tells us that Jesus Christ in his mission here on earth is going from town to town, city to city, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So what we have in Luke is a proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And Luke does something for us. He, he kind of pulls back the veil a bit so that we can see the spiritual warfare that really is taking place in the establishment of the kingdom of God. We've said it before, but when Christ comes to establish his kingdom, he does it in the middle of enemy territory. It is the age to come invading the age that is passing away. It is light in the kingdom of light invading the domain of darkness. The kingdom of God invading the domain of Satan. And it is battle. It is all-out war. And the reality is that Satan isn't just shrugging his shoulder and the, the working of evil and the evil powers that be aren't just letting Christ come in and, and have his way. But they are doing everything they can to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. Primarily, there is a battle for your heart and your soul. For every individual out there. It's in bondage to sin by nature, children of wrath. And the kingdom of God comes with a message that sets you free from that bondage. And it's all out battle. And often we sit and we go through life and we know there's trials or temptation, there's things, but we don't see behind that veil. We don't necessarily remember and know that what we're experiencing is all-out spiritual warfare. And Luke draws back that curtain for us as the kingdom of God comes in and shows its power over the fallen world and over, over demons and demon-possessed and over sickness, those, those who experience the ailments of the fall. Those, even death, God shows the power of the kingdom of God over death. We'll see going forward God's power over the natural elements of this kingdom. And it's an invasion. And at the center of this battle is the Word of God. The life-giving, soul-redeeming, chain-breaking Word of God. It is the power that sets us free. As Ephesians would tell us in Ephesians 6, it is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is that offensive weapon used against the domain of darkness to establish the kingdom of God. And so Satan's defense of his domain of darkness, his attack on the kingdom of God as it invades his realm, centers on this attack on the Word of God. He does not want you to hear it. He does not want you to believe it. He does not want you to read it and to see it. And this morning it narrows even a little further in that the attack is on how you hear the Word of God. So I just have one point, and we're going to walk through the passage and make just one point this morning, and that is take care how you hear the Word of God. 
I ask you up front, when you come to hear the Word of God, when you gather with the people of God and, and you come here to hear, well, I guess I should back up. First of all, we're assuming the point that you are putting yourself in a position to hear the Word of God. You're joining with the people of God for worship. You're hearing the Word preached and proclaimed. You're, you're joining in small groups as you study the Bible, as you look at the Word, as you look at resources that give you insight into the Word. In your own personal time, you are looking at the Word devotionally to see how Christ, alive in those pages, interacts with you. So that's the assumption, is that we're hearing the Word. But now it's how are we hearing it? How are we listening? And here's the call. How serious are you? Right now, in this moment, here's a sermon that you can apply, like, as I'm talking, you can apply it. How are you listening? Coming in this morning, you sitting underneath the Word of God is spiritual warfare. This passage tells us the devil is looking, Satan is looking, the vein of darkness right now is looking to steal that Word and its effectiveness in your life in any way possible. How serious, how joyfully, what priority does hearing, listening to the Word of God play in your life. The passage starts out, Luke makes a historical note here in, in verses 1 through 4. I think it's worth mentioning. Um, he talks about as he travels, he's already called his 12. He has those 12 disciples who are traveling with him, but there seems to be a couple layers more of disciples that are going with him. His entourage is a little bigger. And included in that entourage are several women that he highlights. And he goes through there and he highlights them. Mary Magdalene, we're introduced to her here. She was healed from demon possession, the seven spirits. There seems to be, for some reason in history, it's kind of been popular that maybe she was a prostitute or a harlot. There's really no mention of that, but that, that possibly was the case. But whatever, the Lord has set her free and she is following Christ and, and serving Christ. And there's uh, Joanna who served in the king's court, kind of a high-ranking official there under Herod. And then Susanna, who we don't really know much about. But there's these women who are following, and out of their means, they're caring for Jesus and caring for the disciples who really have left everything and are following Christ. I, I think it is interesting and worth noting that Luke, more than any other gospel, highlights the role of women in the mission of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You know, it starts with Elizabeth, and we see Mary, and we look how Christ shows compassion on Peter's mother-in-law and the widow of Na- in Nain there. We saw last week <clears throat> how Christ shows compassion and highlights the faith and the, the praise and worship that the woman of the city or the prostitute offers Jesus. She anoints his feet with oil and, and weeps and prays and worship to him. And now these ladies are highlighted again. And I just think it's worth mentioning because often, especially in a conservative Christian church, you can face the accusation that, it is a chauvinist, male chauvinist type of setup. And yes, we see distinction in gender. We see distinction in roles in the church. But by all means, we see equality and effectiveness and how people can serve God, man or woman. That It's not that a man's ministry is more important or better or more effective than a woman. God uses these women in in great ways. It's really unique even in this setting that these women would be following Jesus and being taught. I mean, co-education didn't happen back then. 
And here they are being educated by Christ and following and serving in many and unique and important ways. I just think when we're able to highlight that, it's worth highlighting to see God's love and care and kindness and the way he uses men, women, boys and girls, everyone for his honor, for his glory. So after the historical note, we get in then to this story. You heard, read it, so I'm not going to repeat. Jesus uses a parable here. It's maybe the third or fourth parable he's used, and there'll be another 20-some that you'll get to hear about through the rest of Luke. <clears throat> but this is kind of his first real lengthy parable. And it is the, the parable of the sower or the parable of the soil or the seed. There's different ways you might describe it. So quick overview. First of all, when you first read it, at least when I first read it, it sounds like it's like a story of a careless farmer, like out there just chucking seed wherever he wants to. That's not the point. Um, they farmed in the Palestine back in that time a little differently than we think now. They're not like out with the big plow making furrows and then coming behind and placing the seed carefully in the furrows. They would have more just scattered it in the field. And the field is much more wild and rough terrain than we think of a nice maybe cornfield or something. It's a little rougher that way. So they would scatter that seed, then they would come through with the plow and till up that soil with the seed already on it. And so it's going different places as it's plowed up. And that seed lands in four different areas. First, it, in a hard, trodden-down area. That would be, you know, the people in the city have made a path kind of through this field. And as they walk over the same area again and again, it gets hardened down. If you have a dog at your home, maybe at least our dog does it, it follows like the same path always for some reason, so there's like a hardened trail with no grass on it. That's kind of the idea. Uh, it's a path people trod down all, all the time, and so as the plow comes through, it doesn't break up that soil very well. It says the seed lands on it, the wind blows it away, or birds eat it, because it doesn't really get buried down the earth. The second seed lands in soil that looks good, but, you know, right a couple inches underneath the surface is rock. And so it kind of gets down in there, and maybe something a little happens, but it, it can't, it has no place to get roots and to gain that moisture from. And so it doesn't last. The third area it talks about is the seed kind of in the outlying areas of the field where there'd be some thorns and the weeds, and those get plowed up with everything else, but then as that seed grows, it starts to spring forth, and you start to see it, but then up come all the thorns and the weeds, and if you have a yard, you know, like, it's impossible to grow grass and impossible to kill weeds, and that's kind of how it is. The weeds choke out the life of this seed, of this plant, and so it doesn't bear any fruit. It doesn't last, and then the fourth area is it lands in the good soil, and it says it brings forth a hundredfold. That is, in a nice, rich soil, it's got the sunlight and the moisture that it needs and in the right condition. One seed doesn't bring forth just one little thing. It, one seed brings forth an abundance of blessing and supply for everybody. And then, thankfully, in this scenario, Jesus immediately tells us what it means. There are four types of listeners, and he's speaking to us, to you, to me, who come and listen to the Word of God. And he's telling us, likely, all four types of listeners are present this morning. Take care how you hear the Word of God. Your soul depends on it. 
Are you the one who is on that, that hard, beaten down path? Uh, call this maybe the indifferent or resistant listener. The word comes and it is in one ear and out the other. Maybe you come, you've been invited, and you're just resistant to the Word of God. You don't want to hear it. Or maybe you just could care less, really. Your mind's everywhere else than right here, and you're just indifferent to the Word. And so it's spoken, it's in one ear, and out the other. You know, this text would tell us that's exactly what Satan loves. See, he comes and in one ear, and he steals it away, and it's gone, and you die. Group two, the, the second group here is what we'll call maybe the shallow or the superficial listener. It's the one who you come in and you need a quick fix in your life. You have a, a specific need, you have a specific sadness, you have something. And, and so you come in and you kind of feel like an emotional relief in the moment. Singing was good, people were friendly, I'm into it. And in the moment, there's a little bit of something springing forth. That might last for that listener. That might last until your drive home. Or it might last a couple years as, as long enough, you know, you can keep it going with that sort of just shallow, superficial, kind of therapeutic way that the word works. It just makes me feel better. It, it's happy. It's getting me where I want to go. And the scripture tells us, as soon as something difficult happens in your life, boom, it's over. As soon as, you know, you don't like the people at church as much anymore, or, or you know, it's not going quite as well for you, or something hard happens in your life with, with any area of a relationship or finances, whatever it might be, all of a sudden that, you know, it makes me feel a little better isn't good enough. It, there's no roots that have gone down to really lay hold of deep and lasting truth from the Word of God. It's the superficial and shallow listener. Examine your heart and your mind, how you come to worship, to hear the Word of God. When you open up the Word of God, how are you hearing it? Is it for the quick fix to you know, help me feel a little bit better for the next couple minutes? I think often this is the fault of the preacher in that, you can get quick decisions if you give kind of an, uh, an emotional-type message. I know camp isn't a bad thing. It, it's been great in a lot of people's lives. But there is a danger, I think, in that sort of one week of you go to camp, you get away from everything, you have a good speaker in two or three days, you make all kinds of decisions about what you're going to do, what you're not going to do, you're going to go to the mission field, you're going to do it all. You get back and you're on fire and, like, Two or three days later, you realize none of your friends care about it, and you kind of just quit caring about it, and that's it. That's kind of that. It's a, a blast of excitement, and it's gone. I think the prosperity gospel that is preached everywhere all the time is this, because it gets, it builds a crowd. Jesus wants you to be happy. Jesus wants you to have things, and people come, and they want to hear that. And then when something bad happens, it's, well, what about this Jesus that was promising me happiness and wealth? The shallow, superficial listener. The third type of listener, then. How are you hearing the Word of God? 
applying this to your own approach to the Word of God. And I think this is where a lot of the American church finds itself, is you come, you receive the Word, it's meaningful for you, it even begins to take a little bit of root in your heart, but it just can't compete with all the other passions and treasures of your heart. And that every time it starts to spring up, you know, then it's, well, really, my job is more important than me receiving and obeying the word. This relationship is more important. My vacations are more important. My weekend trips are more important. My whatever it is begins to crawl up and choke out the effectiveness of the word in your heart. Because there's a million competing passions out there. And we give ourselves totally into entertainment or totally into sports, totally into our career or finances or whatever it might be. And what proves is those roots that are going down, they aren't dug deep in the word of God. That's not where the life-giving hope and the joy is coming from. But really, your hope and your joy is superficial and temporary and things outside of God and His Word. I think a lot of us come and we hear the Word and we walk away from hearing the Word, whether at church or on our own, and immediately all the competing passions just drown out the Word, drown out the voice of Christ. Finally, the fourth is that one who is receptive. We'll call it the humble and the obedient listener. Not that you don't listen perfectly, not that you come sinless and all that. No, you come a sinner, you come in need, you're like everyone else, you struggle with concentration. I see the yawns, I see the eyes fading. It all happens to everybody from time to time, especially if you work the night shift. (laughs) I'm teasing James. Um, But someone who comes humble, hungry for the word, to hear it, to receive it, to understand their need, to be moved to obedience. I don't think the parable means that there is like literally 25% of your churches in each category. But I do think it is a, a wake-up call to the preacher and the listener that the gate is narrow. The congregation, the visible church, is a mixed congregation. And as the word goes forth, it is being heard and received in the midst of spiritual warfare. And if Satan at any moment can steal that word before it penetrates your heart, can give any sort of reason for you to start thinking about something else, for you to just move on, he has scored a victory in that moment. And I think that takes place. All four of those listeners are hearing right now. And that's why he says the calling isn't just for the preacher to be a good preacher. The calling is for the listener to be a good hearer. That's why he closes in verse 8 there. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That means you can have ears on the side of your head. Most people do. That doesn't mean that you're hearing It's talking about spiritual ears that are alive, that when the word comes, it's it's quickening. 
it is effective for your perseverance, for your comfort, for your joy. I'm not saying every service you come, you're just blown away with how amazing the preaching was. You know, that's not going to happen here. At least not on the weeks Adam preaches. But, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there is a sort of a plodding along of preaching. But the Word is powerful and alive <clears throat> and life-giving. It's not simply for you to come to get a few tidbits of information or to judge if we're anywhere as good as the podcast you listened to yesterday was. That's not the point. It's to come and to be nourished and to be fed by the life-giving Word of God, to receive it, not, not resistant, not indifferent, not just surface, surface, not distracted where the things of life, but to come and engage in spiritual warfare, to hear and humbly believe and receive the Word. We're all the way down to verse 16 already. He moves on to another shorter parable, but it still serves our same purpose here of hearing the word. It says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. What we've done is we've taken fruit in verse 15 and just switched it for another image in light. The kind of the word producing fruit, it's now the word producing light. You have that idea all through Scripture. The fruit, kind of evil good works, or let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so it's moving on and it's saying, you don't come to the Word, which is so beautiful and so useful and produces so much, and then just bury it and pay no attention to it. That makes no sense. My dad has this really weird habit that somehow I picked up and he doesn't go shopping much, but when him and my mom go shopping, he gets a new shirt or new shoes. He's excited about it, but he like puts it in his closet and doesn't wear it for a really long time, and it drives my mom crazy. Like He'll have shoes that sit in that closet for a year. Somehow, I've picked up this weird little habit. If, if Anna and I were to go shopping and both get a sweater, like she's finding an excuse to wear it that evening. I'm like saving it till 2018 for some reason. I don't know why. I've had people come and be like, oh, it's a nice shirt, is it new? It's like, well, I've had it for a couple years, but, you know, it's the first time I've worn it. (laughs) Or maybe for you it's, like, exercise equipment. Like, everyone has, like, a Nordic track or a treadmill or at least, like, the P90X DVDs, and you have no idea where it is or you're just moving it from room to room to get it out of your way. It's useful, but you're not using it. (laughs) That's the word of God here. It's saying it's useful. It's light. It it directs your paths. It it makes clear a path for you. It sheds light on the decisions that you should make. It is a testimony, a glowing light to others, and yet you've covered it completely. Don't think of the light bulb. In this context, it would be like a little candle. The way those lights would work, it would be like a bowl that's almost kind of closed at the top a little. It's got a little candle that floats on like the incense or the oil of some sort. That doesn't put off a ton of light, so you want to put it just in the right spot to give the most light on what you need. You wouldn't light that and then stick it like underneath of the bed or put a basket on top of it. Then its usefulness is no longer useful for you. How many of us such access to life-giving, 
joy-producing Word of God, and we do something as insane as just tucking it under the bed. It shines bright light, and we walk around in darkness, stumbling around, killing our shins on the coffee table. People look at us and have zero idea that there's a joy and there's a faith in us, even in the midst of trial. That's what R.C. Sproul, I've heard him say it a couple times, you're a clear-all Christian. Only your hairdresser knows that you're a Christian. You know, you've hidden. Dan liked it. Thank you. <laughs> and he's saying, that's an absurd, but that's how a lot of us treat the word. We're such bad listeners. We hear it, and then we just tuck it under the bed and don't worry about it. And we stumble around in darkness, and no one has a clue that we're a believer. So now he moves on with the metaphor of light, but kind of changes directions with it just a little bit. Verse 17, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. I think now he's taking the light, and it's now what you took and you weren't using and you hidden, now it's turned back upon you, and it's exposing you for who you really are. You heard the word and it was in one ear and out the other. Maybe you even fool yourself that the word is, is real and alive for you, even though it's of no consequence, and you, you have no roots, and you're bearing no fruit. Eventually that word is going to turn and that light is going to expose you for how you have responded to it. Are you hearing its truth? Are you believing it? Is it changing and transforming your life and giving you perseverance? So you might take that word that you hear and pay no attention to it and put it under the bushel basket, but eventually it will expose you, whether now or in the final day of judgment. Ecclesiastes 12, I believe it is, says to us, if you remember going through that in Ecclesiastes, where each work will be exposed. <clears throat> then he moves on with verse 18, which says, Take care then how you hear, which is the point of our sermon. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. It's giving us then a commentary on what we've seen with the, the seed and the different soils. The one who has is the one who has ears to hear and has heard of verse 8. The one who has is the one who in, in verse 15 has heard the word and responded in humility and obedience. The one who has not, in this little verse 17, 18 here, the one who has not is just the opposite. It's the one who does not have ears to hear and has not heard. It is the one who has responded like the first three soils instead of that fourth soil. And so there's a principle that I think is built here, again, within the context of how you hear the Word of God. There is no neutral response to the Word of God. You might think there is. You might think that you come in as a passive listener, and you sit there, and we talk at you, and that's that. 
There is no passive listener. There is no neutrality. You come and either you choose to ignore, you choose that it's less important than other things in your life, you choose that you're going to hear it, but you're still just going to live how you want to live, which is really not hearing, this passage would tell us. Or you hear it and you submit to it. There's no neutrality in it. And the principle then from Scripture is to the one who continually comes and rejects it and and doesn't listen to it and makes no effect, eventually, even the benefits you think that you have are going to be taken away from you. Whereas the one who comes and receives the word with joy, he comes and his faith is moved to faith upon faith, one degree to another, and he receives grace upon grace, as the Proverbs would tell us over and over again. You don't give wisdom to a fool. You don't cast the, the pearl before the swine. But the, to the one who is wise, when you tell him things, he grows even more in his understanding. The one who is righteous, when he's instructed, grows in his righteousness. I think if you back up, that's kind of what we're learning here in the parable in verses 9 and 10. As Jesus would give us, what is the purpose of these parables? I think it's a bit surprising for people. Verse 10, they ask him what the parables mean. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. For those who have ears to hear, for those who have been awakened by the Spirit, who submit themselves to the Word, it gives you the secrets of the kingdom of God. It gives you life and joy, and you understand what it means to belong to the the kingdom of God, and how you are to live then as citizens of a heavenly kingdom, children of God. But to the one who is hard of heart, the one who has not been given ears to hear, the one who hears again and again and again but never with spiritual ears and they just keep shoving it off and shoving it off and shoving it off, eventually the word works to harden their hearts even more. And the exposure that they had to it, the benefit that they at least had is taken away. If not in this world, on the day of judgment. You don't come neutral and passive to hear the Word of God. You come engaged in spiritual warfare. You're not going to do it perfectly, but by the Spirit you hear the Word and it changes and transforms and is life-giving to you. Or you're one of the other soils and Satan takes it away and it means nothing to you. Which then moves us to our final conclusion here which is another historical note that Luke uses it beautifully to close our time, looking at how we listen to the Word of God. Verses 19 to the end. Then his mother and his brother came to him. It's interesting, isn't it, to think of Jesus as he's teaching, having a mother and a brother out in the crowd that want to get his attention, just the historical reality of it. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. So someone comes and tells him, he was told, your mother and your brother are standing outside desiring to see you. And Jesus answered them, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. The children of God, those who are adopted in the family, those who belong to God, are those who hear the word and do it. He's been forceful with this all through Luke. 
They are the ones who bear fruit. Don't look at Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, Master, Master, and then ignore what He says. To be a child of God is to hear the Word of God and to spiritually hear it, which means to do it. And James, when it talks about hearers and doers of the Word, it's talking really about a category of people. Christians are word doers. Not just word hearers, they are word doers. They are doers of the word. So to back the whole thing up, we have these couple parables put together, this historical notes, all of this put together to call us to care, to attention, to seriousness, to action in how we hear the word of God. There's really practical applications that you can make. But I would say, just worth thinking through. How you spend your Saturday night will affect how you hear the Word of God. How you sit through the singing, and do you join in, or are you just is your mind totally somewhere else in our time of confession? As we sing the songs, as we're catechized, as we're led through a prayer of worship, as we come then and hear the Scripture read and led through a prayer of illumination, these, this is how the Scripture would kind of teach our approach to God. So it would be, is your mind everywhere else? Is it totally distracted? Are those meaningless times to you? Are you praying that you would have ears to hear? It is a gift of grace that you would be spiritually awakened and given ears to hear. Praying, ask the Lord that you would have ears to hear. Those you love would have ears to hear and eyes to see. I was just thinking, and this will be my last point, but Let's say you were to have a big exam tomorrow, or maybe you have a job interview tomorrow. How are you prepping yourself for it? You're getting to making sure you're prepared, making sure you're ready, making sure you have the sleep you need, getting ready to go so that you're ready for the exam, so that you're ready for the job interview. I know Sunday happens every day, hopefully, or every week. Every day. Wow, I, I'm good at that. Hopefully you're in the Word most days. That time in the Word is more important than any exam or any job interview. And yet I think we can approach it so casually because it's so accessible and so easy for us and we come and just passively skate through it, not realize we're engaged in spiritual warfare. You are called to be good listeners, good hearers of the Word. I am called to be a good listener, a good hearer of the word. Which means I humbly submit myself to it. When I see it in its light, I don't just forget about it and hide it, but it becomes useful to me and lighting my path and leading me in the way I should go and a testimony to others. When I hear the word, I do it. You are the children of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks into our hearts and into our lives to instruct us. 
might you make us good listeners, good soil to receive and be nourished by the word, that it would produce that fruit and give that light. And that having that light, it would be useful to us. We wouldn't just shove it out of our minds, Lord, but that it would sink down deep into our heart and into our soul and be meaningful and guiding to us. And you stay with your heads bowed, your eyes closed for just a moment as you respond individually to the word you heard this morning. And the worship team, as they come forward, whoever's going to be involved with this last song will lead us in just a moment in corporate response.